0: Having watched many episodes of Gourmet Farmer, River Cottage, all these great shows, I had such a romanticised idea of what life on the land was going to be like. I literally just thought it was gonna be like out of these TV shows. I didn't give a second thought to what it actually meant to how my life would change.
1: Hello and welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of rural and regional women across Australia. I'm your host for this episode, Sky Manson. If you haven't grown up on the land, the foray into rural life is often closely followed by a feeling of isolation, being separated from your people and a different environment where everything you knew was familiar and ordered. While isolation is definitely not unique to the bush, it is a challenge that so many mothers in rural Australia have experienced. Today's guest, Stephanie Trethewey, is one of them, and she's making much of it. Her podcast, Motherland, interviewing ordinary and extraordinary rural mums, has had over 110,000 downloads. But the funny thing is, this vocation is never what Steph imagined. Born in Sydney and with a career as a TV reporter, she had not a thought for life on the land. But on a quiet news day, while working in Queensland, she interviewed her now husband, Sam, and thought he was kinda cute. I did,
0: yeah, it was a really slow news day. You can appreciate this, sojourno yourself. Slow news day, no car accidents no politicians in town no break and enters it was a pretty boring day in rock and i thought oh my god what are we going to put to air tonight because that was my responsibility as bureau chief and, and reporter as well and and uh, there was yeah an agricultural conference in town and i was like oh, i'll just go along like you can always just muster up some sort of story about cattle it's rocky cattle prices whatever I just you know you know what you like It's kind of bullshit You way into a yarn and <laughs> I rocked up to this event and um the usual suspects are there and I was like oh who do I interview and there was this really good looking guy standing over there um in the corner and they're like oh he's the guest speaker Sam um he's lives in Victoria at the moment but we've just flown him up to, to speak and I'm like oh okay well I'll have a chat to him and see what what yarn I can spin so that's how we met I interviewed him on camera for a story funnily enough about meat um, and how consumers have lost their connection to to meat that you know most kids grow up buying from a supermarket in plastic um they don't sort of have that connection to the land or the butcher shop as we used to so that was the story that's where i met sam and yeah i suppose the rest is history <laughs> here we are running a beef business together too so cut a very long story short after i um transitioned out of um tv so I was working for a current affair um for Sunday night for channel seven at the time ended up in Melbourne um and thought I'd have a crack at um corporate communication so Sam and I actually funnily enough both ended up at the same big company in Melbourne um you know on on good money working hard Sam was managing the whole agri business strategy for this um for this company I was working as the head of communications um and I so Findex, F I N D E X, um, and Sam had set up SproutX, which is Australia's first ag tech accelerator program and venture capital fund. I was running comms, and also my other role was to set up Foundex, which is a um, basically a, a network for regional entrepreneurs across Australia and New Zealand. So we were both in that startup space, um, and we're I guess entrepreneurs at heart. Well, Sam definitely is, and I think at that time I started to realise that I wasn't a nine to five. It was a lot longer than nine to five, that gig. I can tell you many more hours than that, but I wasn't that nine to five gig type of person. I I, I didn't enjoy working for someone else all the time. It just didn't feel right in my gut. Um, married to Sam, we're both pretty, yeah, we're both pretty innovative people, I'd like to think. So we kind of were sitting in our, our lives in the city, feeling pretty disconnected from everything, really. I mean, disconnected from environment, let alone food, Um we just thought, you know, Sam yearned to go back to the land. I think when anyone listening who has married a farmer and hasn't come from the land themselves know know that you can't take the, the farm out of the boy. Like it's there and it's in their blood. And no matter all the city lights and all the fancy jobs we had, I knew Sam wanted to go back and, and make his mark in ag. Um, and so we started to think, well, we haven't got a family farm given to us um, because Sam's dad at the time was um farming in Victoria on a, on a small scale. And and we wanted to go back home to Tassie where Sam's from, um, his grandparents and his grandfather farmed here back in the day. And yeah, so we sat in Melbourne and thought, how can we, we create a beef business from scratch? Um, but one that betters the environment. So that's where the idea for Tazagco, Co, Tasmanian Agricultural Company, was born. Um, so we literally started from scratch. Um, we ended up packing our bags and moving here, but that was after, you know, 18 months of trying to raise capital for the business. Um, so we had to find an investor to help us with the operational side. The Tassie government here have an amazing loan for young farmers. Um, so they loaned us the money for the land itself Um, so yeah, it was, took a lot of hard work to even get a standing start, but we packed up with a baby at the time. Elliot was six months old and, uh, and moved out here to start, start the business. So it's been a big couple of years.
1: (laughs) What was it like when you first moved there?
0: Having watched many episodes of Gourmet Farmer, River Cottage, all these great shows, I had such a romanticized idea of what life on the land was going to be like. I literally just thought it was going to be like out of these TV shows. I didn't give a second thought to what it actually meant to how my life would change being, you know, in the fast pace of the city to being able to walk out the door with Elliot, with the pram and just go for a walk and grab a cup of coffee up the road. Like I just didn't, I didn't think about those changes at the time. So to be honest, I, we moved out here and I guess it was like the honeymoon phase, you know, like the first couple of months it's all a bit of a novelty and, you know, you're sending friends like pictures of your new farm and like whatever. Um, we did move here in the middle of winter, which wasn't ideal either because it was bloody cold too. And a couple of months in I just thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> like what have I done? Sam's just working flat out, you know, just trying to get the farm set up from scratch. Um, my role in the business wasn't as, well, it wasn't really A role yet because there was nothing to market. Like I'm heavily involved with the marketing and sales point and there was nothing to sell yet. Cattle take forever to grow out. You know, it's a kind of a long-term play. And I was sitting with this baby just thinking, what the hell have I done? What have I done? And thankfully, Things turned around, but it was incredibly lonely time for me. Having a husband that was working pretty much seven days a week to try and get this farm going, he was learning as well. He'd never, you know, taken on a farm from scratch himself before. He'd worked for lots of farms, he's managed farms of jackaroo, but he'd never actually been responsible for a farm on his own before. And um, yeah, I was sitting at home with a baby, just thinking, motherhood's bloody hard, farm life's bloody hard. I've got no family, no friends. I've just ruined my life. So, yeah, it um, it was really hard, Sky. Like the first few months were really hard. And I didn't really talk about it to Sam much. I think and a lot of rural mums say this, like you've got a husband who comes home from the farm covered in cow shit, a hard days, well, something's happened, there's a sick calf or the water pump's broken, whatever, and you just, and they've pulled a like 12, 14-hour day and the last thing you want to do is have a wind and say, oh, I'm really lonely or, you know, like mm. it just... Women and mums are really good at sort of again putting their needs last. So I kind of for a while there, I didn't really talk about it um, because I just didn't want to add to his burden of
1: mm. what
0: he was already kind of dealing
1: with. Um, and perhaps but that's where you know, Motherland was born. Yeah, your your and perhaps your preconceived idea of what a mother looks like, and that they do keep the home fires burning, and you know husbands return home to. A happy wife with the meal cooked, and you know it's not—it's not really like that.
0: Absolutely, and I—I I, I feel bad because I've always say on the podcast, and I—and I, and I all want to make very clear that there are there are rural women out there who love being a mum. They're fulfilled by being a mum or being a farmer's wife. I personally hate that term. That's another story. But my point is there are women out there who love it. They're fulfilled by their kids. They don't want to work. That's totally fine. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I wish I was that person. Like I wish I could just simplify my, my life and not, not to, I mean, raising kids is the hardest bloody job in the world, but I wish I didn't have all these other things going on in my head. So to, to your point, like there is a perception that you've got to like keep the house in order and you've got to have a meal on the table and you've got to have smoko. And I, I moved to the farm and I thought, I do not want to fit into that box. Like I, I refuse, like it's not what's going to make me happy. And it was where I was heading. Not, not because of anything other than I didn't feel like I had enough to do outside of taking care of Elliot. And I had a husband who was playing farmer and I just thought, well, if I haven't got much going on apart from Elliot, I suppose i do just have to cook dinner and I do have to keep the house tidy. And that's kind of what I was doing and, and, and it wasn't, I wasn't happy. So I needed more and it took me a a couple of months to, I guess, find my feet and realize that I could live on the land. I could be a mum, but I could also be me. And it's taken, it's been a big journey to get to that point.
1: So why did you start motherland? Tell me when you sort of, did you, when you first, first started thinking about it?
0: Um. I remember it was one of those days I was sitting at home with Elliot and it was just a hard day. Like he was just, I just wanted a moment for myself and I just was sitting there and I was crying and I just thought surely I'm not the only one struggling with this. Like this motherhood gig is the hardest thing I have ever done and throwing rural life into the mix where I don't have family close by. I can't pop up the road to have a coffee. I feel geographically isolated like, surely I'm not the only one that feels like this. I wonder how other rural mums deal with it. And I just, again, that journo in me, I just, I wanted to like hear stories. Like I just wanted to, to hear other people's experiences that could perhaps make me feel better and less alone about my own journey. And so I kind of just did some research and very quickly couldn't find what I was looking for. So no word of a lie. I literally just came up with the idea, pitched it to Sam and he was like, oh, that's awesome text a few rural mums that I did know and say, Oh, would you listen to something about this? They're like, Oh my God, it's great. And that night with a free program created my logo and just whacked it all together. chucked up the Instagram account and woke up the next morning. I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm kind of committed to this now because I've told people I'm doing it. I've, I've created this account, like the logo, and yeah. And I just started hunting for mums on Instagram. Sam was really well connected or is very well connected in ag. So he kind of pointed me into the direction of a couple of mums. Um, Chantelle Renee um, was my first um, on the podcast, an amazing photographer. Sam knew of her. So she was like the first person I reached out to. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I had her
1: locked in and kind of just spiraled from there. And how has it played out since since that time? Has it surprised you?
0: Oh, God, it continues to surprise me. I just, it, this was a passion project of mine that really was about selfishly helping me through my own journey by helping others through their motherhood journey. And it's totally shifted my experience of life on the land. I think it's been my lifeline. Like without these rural mums that I speak to every week, they've, I'll probably get upset, but they've really helped me navigate what has been the hardest time in my life. Um, so this community is, it's more than just a side hustle or a side project. It's its part of my life. Um, it's part of my sanity. So I didn't, never expected it to go as well as it has. I thought, even if 10 mums listened to it, I remember saying to Sam, I was like, I've got to like peel back the expectations here. Like we're not creating like a breaking like TV show or something. Like this is a little podcast I'm doing with my little $80 microphone in my farmhouse. And I just said to Sam, it's almost like I had to justify to myself. I was like, I, even if 10 mums listen to it and they enjoy it and they see value in it and it helps them, and then I'm going to keep doing it. So it was never about the success of it for the first time. I actually... I actually was doing something completely out of the goodness of my heart and what I what felt good. And I think motherhood makes, it just strips you back and it just makes you reevaluate everything. And for the first time I didn't want to just do something or have a job because it was a great job and it paid well, or, mm. you know, the glamour of TV, like the novelty and that wore off pretty quickly, eight years in TV and I've done my dash and it's great, it's far more glamorous than it, than it sounds. Um, but for the first time I was doing something for me and doing something because I, I believed in it. Um, and I think that if you're doing something for those reasons, and you believe in it, and you find a niche that there's a gap that people, you know, are, are yearning to be filled, if you if you find that, then yeah, I think you will succeed on whatever level you want to. So for me, it's just been so rewarding to to see this community grow and and to have this connection with all these rural mums.
1: We'll be back in just a moment, but now a word from today's sponsor today's episode of life on the land is brought to you by blundstone australia the iconic boot brand recently celebrated its 150th anniversary an incredible landmark for the brand blundstone has a long history of making the sturdiest most comfortable and stylish boots for all walks of life Established in Tasmania in 1870, Blundstone remains 100% family-owned and Tasmanian-based and continues to be shaped by the vision and values of its founders and owners. For over 150 years, their commitment to durability, style and quality has not changed. The Blundstone range includes safety and casual styles for men and women and kids' boots that are easy to pull on and off when on the farm. Blundstone tested by every generation since 1870. When you, were, when you grew up in Sydney, did you have much connection at all to farmers or farming life or, you know, friends that lived in the country?
0: no apart from the odd person i knew had a nice little hobby farm you know an hour away from sydney there wasn't much connection at all to the land um when i was very little we had a we had a small hobby farm about two and a half hours from sydney in nowra um but once sort of school life kicked in for me and dad was working flat out you know those sort of weekends became less and less and we sold that farm um, so no, it wasn't until I actually moved to Rockhampton in Queensland um, as a TV reporter for Channel 7, I was managing the bureau up there for Central Queensland and Rocky being obviously one of the, if not the beef capital um, was sort of where I kind of had my eyes open to, to ag and, and cattle and beef and this whole, yeah, whole life that I'm now in.
1: Yeah. Ah, yeah. Love it. And so what led you to journalism? <laughs> Did you know that you always wanted to do that?
0: No. So um, in my past, past life, I was actually a professional tennis player growing up. So I left school in, yeah, I left school in year 10 um, and finished year 11 and 12 by distance education. Um, So I toured for a couple of years on the WTA um, and yeah, basically cut my teeth in tennis, had like quite a lot of injuries. Like I had a stress fracture in my back and all sorts of problems and so I had the opportunity to go to America on a scholarship to play um, for Cal State Long Beach one of the universities there Um, so yeah I sort of at 18 moved to America for a year and obviously on a scholarship you've got to study at university you've got to pick something I was like I don't know what to study but love love talking as you can probably tell Um, Mm -hmm. love meeting people Um, had grown up watching 60 Minutes with mum and dad and i would always loved the news I suppose so I picked journalism so that's what I studied and um a year later, I transferred back to UTS in Sydney to finish my degree um, and, yeah, just cut my teeth in the TV industry and could got work experience wherever I could and ended up in, yeah, the, some of the best newsrooms in the country and just kind of all happened very randomly but absolutely loved it.
1: Why weren't you drawn to sports journalism?
0: because I knew nothing about any other sport apart from tennis. Like my life was tennis. I couldn't give a crap about any other sport, but tennis, I'd make a horrible sports journal because you've got to kind of live and breathe lots of sports. Um, So, yeah, I just, I don't know. There was something, the drama of news, the chase um, that I really loved. So, yeah, I sort of sunk my teeth into news.
1: And something new every day. There's never never any day that's the same.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I get bored pretty quickly. So it was pretty good fit, I think.
1: Tell me what happened with your tennis. How long did that continue for?
0: Yeah. So I pretty much transitioned out of tennis once I left America and came home to Australia. So by 20, I was still, you know, playing the odd competition, but sort of I guess you could say I was 20 and retired <laughs> um, and yeah, and basically put all my heart and soul into, into TV. So um, without my tennis career, I, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I think I learned so many things from being an athlete and, you know, the, the hard work involved and yeah, I really sacrificed a lot of my childhood and teen years um, for tennis. Um, and I remember being quite bitter about that, you know, At at a point in time, and then sort of as I matured, realized quickly that I wouldn't have gotten to where I did in TV. I wouldn't have gotten to where I am now, you know, in business and life and my podcast. If it wasn't for all those lessons learned, you know, as an athlete, so yeah, no regrets.
1: What are the lessons? (laughs)
0: Um, That hard work does pay off, even when you're you're in the thick of it and you just think, "What am I doing?" And this is so hard, and where am I going? And um, and I suppose just dedication. Like I just. I just don't stop until I achieve, I suppose, what I what I want to achieve. I, it's that kind of never say die approach. doesn't always work in my favour, um, but it's something that I think has carried from a work ethic point of view. If I look back at my jobs in TV and I look back at um, my corporate job that I moved into after TV and even now on the farm with our business and even with Motherland, like, again, not always to my favour, because I don't always put myself first. It's sort of like achieve at any expense. And that expense often comes at my own, you know, my own health, I suppose, in a way. And I think there are a lot of mums out there, uh, you know, motherhood, that's a whole another ball game, you know, you kind of put yourself last. So um, I think the lessons from tennis I learned were great, have helped me achieve, but then I think every now and then I have to step back and just say, you know, slow down. And it's not always about
1: winning or achieving. It's also, you know, you've got to take care of number one, I suppose. And does any, tell me about that decision to sort of step away from tennis. Was that tricky to do? It was, um, it was
0: especially tricky because, um, God, what was it called back then? The HSC in New South Wales um, and then the marks you get to get into, you know, your chosen uni degree is it wasn't a natural transition from the American college, so I had to rely on the marks that I got um, from my HSC and I think I got 88 or something, but to get into journalism at UTS was 94. And so I remember crying on my mum and dad's balcony um, thinking that I'd ruined my life because I'd given up this scholarship um, to move to Australia to follow my dream in journalism and I didn't get the marks to get into uni, which I didn't really think about at the time I made the decision. I thought, why wouldn't I be able to get in because I'd already done a year of a degree? (laughs) Um, And that was horrific. And yeah, I'm pretty proud to say that I didn't get the marks to get in, but they let me in <laughs> because I demanded a meeting with the head of journalism, Jenna Price, Jenna Price, who I still chat to occasionally. And I basically just pleaded my case. I said, look, you know, I'm already a year into journalism, I'm dedicated, I've done work experience at Channel 9, the local paper. And she pulled a few strings and, um, and basically they let me into the course, which is hilarious because actually halfway through that year, a lot of people drop out. Like a lot of people start, you need to do a business degree. You don't like it, you, whatever. And um, so it's like, it's not like there wasn't room for one more in the end. So yeah, I suppose that's that whole, yeah, just wanting to, to, to wanting to get my way. And there was no other option. I was like, I've, I've left tennis. I'd made the decision um, that was over and I had, like I had to get in and thank God she let me in. That,
1: that was your, that was your challenge that you had to win. True to your nature. Yeah. Does any part of you wish you were still playing tennis?
0: No. I think. I mean, it took me a couple of years to adjust that I wasn't, you know, in that scene anymore. But no, doesn't. I don't miss it anymore. I think everything's worked out the way it's supposed to be. And it is hard work. I mean, really, from financially, you look at the top, you know, hundred players in the world, they're they're on good coin, but it's a struggle. Like you know, you'd fly to Europe, and Mum and Dad would fork out money to pay for your plane tickets and pay for a coach to come over and it's a knockout, right? So you lose first round. That's it. There's no prize money. You have to call your parents on the other side of the world at 16 years old and say, I lost. And now we've got to wait another week until the next tournament kicks off in whatever the Netherlands. And um, yeah, like if you don't keep winning, you don't earn. And and that makes it really hard. It's a very hard sport to, to fund. You know, it was mum and dad like worked incredibly hard and um, you know, we didn't have all the money in the world to just keep funding it. So unless you keep winning and keep rising in the ranks, you um, it's pretty tricky. So yeah, I think I look back and I think it was the right decision. I, yeah, it was the right decision for me at the time. And yeah, it's all worked out luckily.
1: What about you and Sam? Do you have a main game of tennis together? (laughs)
0: <laughs> we've played once and I'm never playing with him again. He, he's, he's so he's like me. He picked up a tennis racket and he'd not played in like 10 years and he couldn't understand why he wasn't Roger Federer, like just straight up. He just was so frustrated. His temper on the court, similar to mine. And so it was just, yeah, it was just a big, big clash. And I kind of, I find that unless I yeah, uh, just not the right match for us. Yeah, no. So no, just too much no of a tennis jumper.
1: court in the garden for the no,
0: <laughs> absolutely not.
1: <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the Taz Ag company, and mm-hmm. it's been through some very exciting developments just recently. Um, about what yep. you, what you're doing there?
0: Yep. So we produce um, an F1 Wagyu product that's farmed regeneratively. Um, Not sure how many people listening have heard of regenerative farming. It's sort of really a bit of a movement that's gaining momentum. But basically how we farm is, um, you know, largely non-conventionally and the whole aim is for us one day to be a truly carbon-positive beef brand. So through how we farm, sequestering and drawing down more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, Um, than our entire operation emits. So that's the overall, that's the end goal. Um, You know, in 2019, we were the first farm in Tasmania to baseline our farm for carbon um, through a system that's the only system that's approved through the UN Paris Agreement, which means all the future carbon credits our farm gets um, will basically count towards Australia's national target under the Emissions Reduction Fund. Basically a fancy way of just saying that, you know, we're building a lot of data around what we're doing and, you know, we're trying to prove that, cattle aren't the problem you know farm farmers cop it cattle cop it as the you know seen as the bad kid on the block in terms of emissions and you know farming communities we can turn a blind eye to that and just you know ignore it but the reality is is perceptions reality and consumers are starting to sort of um, pick up on that stuff. And, and as an industry, I think it's important that we sort of educate that, you know, we're not the bad guys here. It's not the cow, it's the how, and it sounds wanky, but there's a way to farm regeneratively using cattle. That's actually benefits the environment. So, um, yeah, long story short, that's what we're doing. Um, We, you know, we plant salad bowl paddocks, which we we call them, which means our cattle, they don't just eat grass and clover. They eat like things that you and I eat, like turnips, radish, peas, corn, oats. Um, We plant up to like 20 species in paddocks and um, the cattle, you know, munch away, have a bit of, have a bit of a chew and then we rotate them daily. And yeah, so there's some pretty cool stuff that this is a whole world I've only just, you know, gotten into, but there's some cool stuff we're doing um, in this space. And yeah, we're, we're really excited because, you know, one of the, well the most premium grocer in tassie hill street grocer have picked us up so they're stocking our product in all 10 stores across the state giving us a bit of a crack um and yeah it's sort of just the beginning but that's that's what we're up to which is um yeah all very exciting but lots of hard work managing paddock to plate like literally that whole supply chain you know it's it's a whole world a whole nother world so it's yeah lots of ups and downs
1: but hopefully we get there it just sounds really awesome and exciting, and um, yeah, true to your nature again, I suppose. Just doing new new things and um, and making them work. What's your role in that business?
0: Yeah, so my official title is um, yes. director of brand and marketing. <laughs> um, so that's that's my title. I mean, my role is really to manage the entire marketing. So our focus for our brand is to be a customer facing brand. So, you know, a lot of meat brands you as a consumer in the city, which is, you know, like where our target market is um, they're not connected to their food and they're not connected to the brand because they don't know who farms it and they, they want to, but um, we're in a unique position where on our, you know, farm in Tassie, which, you know, we've got, just over a 1,000 acres and that we own and lease, you know, we can run. We're running up to 2,000 cattle at the moment. So we're pretty lucky with the climate down here allows us to kind of scale on not so much land compared to like if we had to sort of start from scratch up north. And um, that relationship with consumers is really important. So, you know, our social media, we're really big on that. We're really big on the salmon, and Steph story on being transparent with our journey and building that connection with consumers. Um, and the feedback so far has been really great. People love to know where their food comes from if they can put a face to the name like even better Um, and I think that's where food's heading like people are going to start demanding more and more transparency but people love the story like you know why does anyone buy something there's often there's a reason and quite often we do we do buy into the story and so for us, it's been a real focus of ours is to, you know, as a young family, a young couple having a crack is to share that journey with people and um, yeah, and to, and to show what we're doing. So it's been really exciting in my role. You know, there's a lot of video content we've done recently, which again, plays into my strengths from TV. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do am, am pretty hands-on, like Sam was busy the other day. And so he called me, he's like, can you move this mob of cattle? I'm like, great. So I had to put Elliot in the car, <laughs> Evie in the car, <laughs> drive down to the other farm. And um, it's all good. I love doing it so I'm kind of a jack of all trades master of none probably but really focusing on on the marketing sort of my
1: my sort of where my skill set lies I suppose are you seeing that your all that sort of um, marketing exposure and transparency is starting to convert in some way in a, in a in a good way like I don't know if that's through sales for you guys or that people are starting to approach you for the product
0: yeah definitely I mean it's early days we've only been in market a couple of weeks but you know the social media community similar to like the motherland community or the grazier community like that online platform is so powerful people that you know actually they're buying our beef in the in the grocer and they're like sending us a message saying oh just tried it like it was really lovely and it was really tender and you know to write back and say you know thanks so much Sam and I you know really appreciate it like hope you're well Steph like connecting directly like as a consumer you can actually send a message to the farmer and say we loved your steak and you get a response from the farmer like that's pretty powerful stuff and for people in the city that's that's a novelty you know people on the land we know where food comes from we know the go we know the drill we know all this stuff but um for consumers like that's that's pretty cool and so we're starting to see that people love that story and um it's no easy feat managing a brand um as i said from cake to plate it's freaking hard work but um Yeah, that's what we've set out to do. And we're, you know, the whole regenerative, sustainable, sustainable stuff, that's where the future of food's heading. And I think we're going to see more and more demand from retailers and butchers and restaurants for more sustainably produced food. Um, So we're kind of starting to starting that journey now before that kind of gains so much momentum that, you know, people are, you know, demanding it. We kind of want to be on that journey now. Um, So, yeah.
1: So all these things considered, how has life on the land changed you? <laughs>
0: That's a very good question. Um, I think in a lot of ways it's made me stop to smell the roses even for a split second um, because I can walk out the door and there's no distractions. It's You're on the land and it's beautiful. And I go for a walk with my kids and I just think, gosh, like, how lucky are we to have this life? My kids have this backyard that is just acres and acres and acres. So it's made me appreciate life. I suppose it sounds corny, but it makes me appreciate just, you know, being able to live this beautiful life with my kids and give them a life that I think I believe is, is in a lot of ways better for them and and the kind of life that I I'm just so privileged to live out here. And I thought a lot of rural people would agree, like it's an amazing life. Um, it's not changing me in a lot of ways, which I think is a good thing. I think I suppose I thought, I think I was worried that I would be pigeonholed into something that was created in my own, in my own imagination, that I would just have to be this farmer's wife and that I have to change because that's not me. It's never been me. It will never be me. And Sam would never want me to be that anyway. You know, he, he, that's not what he wants. And I Pretty. who cares what he thinks because I am who I am and that's who we married. So, um, But, you know, I just think I'm happy to say that it hasn't changed me in a lot of ways. Um, And I'm glad it hasn't because motherhood is the biggest transformation a woman can go through and it does change you. No matter what anyone says, motherhood does change you. And I think when you're going through all these scary changes and then to have to change and pick up your life in a city and move to a whole new world, for that to also change you, I think it's like what's left of me. Um, and that's why I fought really hard to just keep pushing boundaries, keep fighting, keep working, keep, keep juggling, even though it's bloody hard, because at the end of the day, there's got to be a bit of stuff left after all this. And yeah. So to answer your question, have I changed in some ways? Yes, but in a lot of ways, no. And I think that's probably a good thing and probably the best thing for me and my family. I love that.
1: So how do we find you? What's the best way to find, find you? Cause there's a few channels. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I suppose like through Motherland, um, you know, Motherland Australia on Instagram, Facebook or motherlandaustralia.com.au, our beef business, Tasmanian Agricultural Company on Facebook and Instagram. Um, So yeah, social media is sort of where I spend a lot of time these days for both, for both, you know, businesses, I suppose. And yeah, that's the best way to connect, I suppose. And I spend a lot of my time chatting to, to rural mums and I love it. You know, you kind of build friendships with people across the other side of the country. And little old Tassie and I'm connecting with a mum up in the Northern Territory whinging about our kids and it's like, how cool is this? I would never have met you without, mm-hmm. you know, social media. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Motherland and Life on the Land come out on a Monday morning. Is that right? Are you Are still doing releases on yep. Monday morning? Yep. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah, new episode out every Monday morning. Um Yeah, and sneak peeks out on the weekend before.
1: And if people want to buy some of your beef, can they actually buy it?
0: Um, In Tassie at the moment, yes, across the state. Um, In the next few months, so we're kind of growing. We're processing about five animals a week. We're growing to about 15, 20 a week in the coming months, so scaling pretty quickly. So hopefully I'll be able to update you soon and and people in, in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland might be able to buy our beef sometime this year so yeah stay tuned for that
1: it's all very exciting um yeah we'll no doubt follow your journey with such great interest and i hope evie hasn't woken up yet and you get to have a little bit (laughs) more time to maybe go and get a cup of tea and uh soak up (laughs) the day outside
0: (laughs) thank you sky no thanks so much i really
1: appreciate it. it's a
0: real privilege to talk to you so thank you
1: you want more from steph she writes about the irksome nature of the title farmer's wife and her own search for identity as a mother and a woman living on the land in the autumn edition of grazy her which is on sale now and let me tell you this is one super cracking issue it's not to be missed if you're interested in a subscription it's really easy to sign up on our website grazyher.com.au Thank you to our series sponsor, Blunstone Australia. Until next time, take care and we'll be back next week with another Life on the Land story.